But today as we jump into Revelation 20, we're coming to the end of, of the series. And so over the last, uh, the last few weeks, um, we're, we're seeing that everything, this, this, this conflict that began all the way back in Genesis chapter three that we see on the pages of scripture, uh, we're, we're seeing through the visions that John has been given by Jesus Christ, that this is coming to its final con. Uh, final climax coming to its conclusion. And what we've, what we've seen is that this, this, uh, this battle has been going on is going to result in, if I can just use this phrase, the crushing of the offspring of Satan. It's, it's the fulfillment of the prophecy that we see in Genesis chapter three, verse 15. And so in Revelation 17, we, we saw the great prostitute who is, who is man, the, the world who is trying to deceive the people of God. We see the great prostitute destroyed. In chapter 18, we witnessed the fall of Babylon. In Revelation 19, uh, Pastor Matt did such a good job last week introducing us to the fact that we are the bride of Christ, but, but he left off in chapter 11, by the t- or, I'm sorry, verse 11. By the time you get to the end of chapter 19, we we see this epic battle scene in which Jesus shows up not as a little helpless baby in a manger, not as a battered, mangled savior hanging on a cross. And in no way do I diminish either one of those two pictures of Christ because they're both very necessary for us. But we see him coming back as a conquering king. That whole thing of a sword in the mouth, I don't know what that's gonna look like and what that symbolizes, but that we get this picture of the conquering king who along with the armies of heaven has come to do battle. And, and what we see at the end of chapter 19 is that the beast, the false prophet, the kings of the earth and their armies attack. But, but I, I don't want you to think of this as, as like Star Wars. You know what I'm saying? Where it's just like good guys versus bad guys. They both have their powers. No, this isn't even fair. It's like my daddy's bigger than your daddy and he's gonna win. And it's a decisive victory. I mean, it is amazing. And so this ends with the beast, the false prophet, the pawns of Satan being thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And then we get to chapter 20 and, and, and John is given another vision. And here's where we pick up our reading in verse one. When we read, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And for those of you that, that think Satan is equal with God, this should actually get rid of that false, false view once and for all. It's an angel, it's not even God. An angel sees the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years, threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. And, and what we're seeing here real quick, what we're gonna get back. We're seeing quite literally the answer to the end of the Lord's prayer. You know, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray and he prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we see this right here. There's this picture. Satan, he's placed in, in this, this holding area. Now he's not cast into the lake of fire yet. He's locked in a pit awaiting his final judgment. But during this thousand year period, what, what happens? Well, if we keep reading verses four through six, give us, give us this picture. He has another vision. John has another vision, this time of thrones where those who were martyred for the sake of Christ, those who died for Christ without denying him, 
They experience what John refers to as the first resurrection. There's another resurrection coming. This is the first resurrection where they come to life. They reign with Christ for this 1,000 years. And by the way, there's, there's so much, like this could literally be a series that lasts for about seven years. And I, we gotta finish this at some point, but man, this is awesome too. So man, just if, if you're like, man, I don't even know where to study this, reach out to me. I'll give you some, some great resources to dig in this. But after the end of thousand years, what we see is we keep reading through chapter 20, Satan is released from the pit. He deceives the nations. He gathers all the unbelievers to, as verse nine puts it, to attack the beloved city. This is, this is Jerusalem that's been mentioned uh, in chapters before. And what we see is this battle doesn't end any better than the battle against Christ. We see that all of these nations are destroyed. The devil's defeated. He's thrown into the same like a fire and sulfur where his cronies, the, the beast and the false prophet are. And here's what verse 10 says. It says, they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And so when we read this, we get to the end of, of verse 10 and we're like, oh man, this is probably the part of the movie, you know, where, you know, the theme music comes up, you know, like in Tagun, ta, 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 da, 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 ta. And the, the, you know, the lights are, are coming up, the screen goes dark, the credits are rolling, like, this is the end of the story. But it's not. This isn't where the story ends. In fact, the, the rest of the story, it's not so much about the devil and, beast and all that. No, the last of the story involves every single person that's in this room. It's about us. And what we see as we pick up our reading in verse 11 is that John has another vision. And he says, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were open. Then another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. And real quick, you're like, well, is, isn't Hades and hell the same thing? It's, it's not. In fact, as... as I read through scripture, and by the way, anytime I say my opinion, that means I'm not infallible. So, but, but the understanding that we get as we study in the New Testament, Hades, and even the Hebrew word Sheol that, that we find in the Old Testament, uh, Sheol many times just refers to a place of the dead, the grave, but in Hades specifically refers to a place where the unsaved dead are now. It's still a place of punishment, but no one is technically in hell yet but I, but I, I just got to pause. And, and, and here's the thing, like what I'm going to talk about today, I, I'm not going to lie, this is, this is heavy. Um, like I, th those of you that are here at Grace, you know that I'm not one of these people that says, hey, let's play on people's emotions and let's scare people into being a Christian. I don't believe that. If I can manipulate you into being a Christian, somebody can manipulate you out of it. So it's not about being manipulated, it's faith. And I don't care if it is Halloween weekend, I'm not gonna be playing games with that, okay? But that being said, I, I want you to listen carefully to, to what we're gonna talk about today. 
Because what, what, what we see here, the, re, the rest of the story, you gotta understand this is, this is a message given to us by Christ. We've talked about this. It's, it's, it's a message that he gives because he loves us. But when we read the last two verses here, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he's thrown into the lake of fire. We're hearing Jesus giving us a picture of what is, is yet to come. And, 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 and first of all, you gotta know that the, that the book of Revelation was not written to unbelievers, it's written to believers. The, the, the book of Revelation, as we're gonna see next week as we jump in and we're bringing this thing to a close, it's, it's a book of an unbelievable optimism to, to a church that had been battered and, and martyred and, and, and you know, diminished and all of that. It's, it's an incredible book of victory. But there's also, I think, for us today, a wake-up call. I think there's a wake-up call for both believers and if you're here today and, you know, you just showed up to make somebody happy, you're an unbeliever. I mean, I think there's a, there's a, a warning for you as, as well. And that this warning is not coming from a place of, hey, let me, let me scare you. It's, it's coming from a place of, because I love you, let me tell you what's, what's, what's ahead. This that I'm a hit. If you're if you're taking notes, you can just write this down. Literally, my big point that I'm going to talk about is just this sobering reality that that a judgment is coming. I, I want to talk about this, and God lets us see through these visions that it's like, okay, this is what's going to happen. I mean, have you ever been somewhere and you like maybe it was an accident that was getting ready to happen or, or uh, somebody's going to do something stupid and you're like, that's not going to end well. And yet all you could do was, was watch. You could just see it unfolding and you're like, this is not going to end well. You ever been there? You ever gone through that? Like I have. In fact, several years ago, I was speaking at a, uh, I was a youth conference in Virginia and I had a buddy of mine, uh, Dan Coy, some of you know Dan, who, who said, hey, man, I'll give you a ride back. I was going to go back to Roanoke to fly out. And, and so we were at, you know, off the Blue Ridge Parkway. It was about an hour drive. And so he's, he apologized in advance. He said, man, I have a, a, you know, my truck is not in good condition. And like, honestly, I think he kind of undersold it. It was terrible condition. Like we got in and like, we're driving on the parkway and that whole thing is just, and like, it is, it is so loud. We're, and I am not exaggerating. We are shouting to talk to one another. You just, it's just a piece of junk. And so he, he had told me before we got in that he said, man, if you don't mind, I've got to swing by. I did a job for somebody. I'm gonna pick up a check. And I'm like, fine. And, and so we're driving, we're yelling at each other and, and we pull into this neighborhood that honestly, they should have had gates and that truck should have never been allowed in that neighborhood. Like it was, we pulled up to, still to this day, the nicest house I've ever seen. And, and uh, we, it had a long driveway. We came down the driveway and walked in the house. He picked the check and honestly, man, I'm looking around like, dude, I look like a farmer going to town with the, the egg money for the first time. Like, oh, what is going on? Like, it was amazing. And so I walked back out and we're blown away and, and there was a brand new, the guy who owned the home had purchased a brand new Land Rover. I still remember it was forest green, all the bells and whistles. It was incredible. And because I'm this kind of person, I looked up on Google, what is the price of a fully loaded Land Rover? And I turned to Dan and I told him, I'm like, dude, that is worth more than my house. And so we're kind of laughing at this stark contrast as we get in his truck. 
And, and because they had a circular driveway, but the, because of how the, the Land Rover was parked, we couldn't, we couldn't get around and there was, wasn't room to, to, to drive. So we had to actually back up. And so we back up and, and we're laughing about the contrast. We get to the top of the hill. We're going to get to the main road. And literally at the top of the hill, his stupid truck dies. Like it just, it dies. And he's, like, and he's trying to start it, trying to start it. It won't start. So he puts the emergency brake on and we both get out. He pops the hood and we're looking at it. As we're looking at it, the emergency brake gives. And it, we've been backing up. It's going straight towards, you got it, this beautiful Land Rover. I'm of no good whatsoever. I'm like, this is not gonna end well. I'm just like, Dan, like I've never thought of Dan as a tremendous athlete, but he ran and I don't know how he did it to this day. Somehow he jumped in, he, he somehow swung in because he'd left the, the door open. Somehow he swung into the truck. It was a pretty long driveway and, and, and he put on the brakes and I kid you not, I'm not making this up. It was about this, it was like uh, 12 to 18 inches, like his hood to the hood of that beautiful Land Rover. Like, I come running down and, and Dan's just. <laughs> As I get there, the guy, the, the guy who owns the, owns the home comes out. He's like, oh, did you guys forget something? He hadn't seen any of it. <laughs> Dan plays it all cool. He gets out, I was like, well, said my truck wouldn't start. Thought you might be able to give us a jump. And he's like, oh, that's per You got in the right position. We're like, oh. <laughs> If you only knew. Dude, we literally, he, he jumped us, we backed up, we left. And, and man, we didn't, like the first 10 minutes, we didn't talk. And finally, when we talked, like, I'm, I'm, I am not exaggerating. Dan was just shaking because we had seen what was sure to be just a terrible thing. And I was very glad it was his truck and not mine. I, I, I use that kind of humorous story, though, to, to talk about this reality, what Jesus is allowing us to do, though is to see that, that, that something is, hap- is going to happen. And what we're seeing here is, is no small thing. This is going to be devastating. Such, such devastation, what, 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 what we read here, is such, such devastation that, I mean, even the atrocities that we've read about that took place when the Hamas came into to Israel, the impact of war, the bombings, and all the things that we read about that are happening, not just in Israel, but, but around the world. The tragic events that unfolded in Maine is this the pointless tragedy of the guy killing all of these people. As terrible as these events are, they, they pale in comparison to this picture that, that Jesus is allowing to be painted for John. Jesus, through this, through this vision, is allowing us to see that judgment is coming. And again, for the, for the Christian, that's not, not a terrible thing, but, but it should be a wake-up call. In fact, for the time that we have remaining, there's four truths that I want you to write down about this judgment. The first thing that I, I wanna make sure that we understand this morning is this. Every person will be judged. Every person will be judged. Jesus, now he's the expert on death. He's, he's the one... He's come back from the dead. He's an expert on what awaits us. He was emphatic. He's emphatic here. He was emphatic even in his teachings before he was on the cross that a day of judgment is coming where everyone will rise from their graves and stand before him for eternal sentencing. They'll be sentenced either to, to worship in his kingdom or to suffer in hell. 
Every single, when I say that the end of Revelation is about us, it's, I mean this, every person is going to stand before Jesus. The judge is gonna be Jesus Christ himself. In fact, if, if, I don't have time to get into this to break this down, but write uh, John chapter 5, 23 through 29 uh, off to the side. This is Jesus talking about his role, that, that, that he, is, he is the judge. Now, when I say that everyone is gonna be judged, I wanna make sure we're on the same page. There are two judgments that are spoken of in, in scripture. Um, there's a judgment that we read of in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. The apostle Paul talks about this. He says, and he's writing to believers, not unbelievers. He says, we, believers, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's one judgment. There's, there's a great white throne judgment that we're reading about here. The judgment seat of Christ is a separate one here. He says, so that each one, each believer may receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. And, and so, so here's what I want us to make sure that we understand. I'm not here to shake and take away the faith of someone who is in Christ. If you are in Christ, you can have assurance of, you have assurance of salvation. First John chapter 5, 13, I love what John writes. His whole purpose of writing John is, is to refute some of this false teaching that is, that is out there that's like, you know, you know, you can do whatever you want in the body, but the spirit, that's different. He, he's, he's refuting Gnosticism and other false teachings. And he says, he says in 1 John 5, 13, he says, I'm writing these things that you may know, what, what, what? That you have eternal life. You may know. You don't have to like, oh, well, I just hope we all make it someday. No, you can know. If you are in Christ, you can know that you know that you know that you know that you know. And so when I talk about judgment for the Christian, it's not this judgment of where am I going to spend eternity? Can I tell you, thanks to Jesus Christ, that question has been answered, but we are gonna be judged for what we did with what God gave us. In fact, one of the, and one of the parables that Jesus, that is recorded most of Jesus' teaching is the parable of the talents. What did you do? with what I gave you. And frankly, and I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna call it what it is. A lot of us are hiding those talents. It's like, well, I just, I just wanna be found faithful to your returns, but you know, I don't wanna mess up. And so we've, we've done what Jesus said the, the one guy did. We've dug a hole and we buried the, the talent. No, no, there's gonna be a, an accounting for what Christ has given us. There is a judgment coming, but here's my opinion. Okay, again, remember, you hear me say those words, my opinion, I'm not infallible. However, as I understand scripture, I don't believe those in, who are in Christ are going to stand here at the great white throne judgment that we're reading about in Revelation 20. Going back to John chapter five, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he's passed from death to life. That's already been decided. Now, I've heard though Christians are nervous about this. They're like, okay, these books are gonna be open. What are those books? Okay, first of all, remember, books, uh, it's one of those things that we find in the Old Testament. They don't show up first here in Revelation. We find in the Old Testament. We'll find it referenced in Psalms and some of the prophets. Daniel, in, uh, probably more than any, well, I know, more than any other prophet talks about these books. Daniel chapter seven, Daniel chapter 12. You can write that down, do a little research. In Daniel chapter seven, what, what we see is that, that these, these books are, are focused on judgment against those who are in rebellion against God. But there's another book, the book of life. There's, there are names written in this book of life. The, these, 
This book contains the names of those who are redeemed and every person whose name is found in the Lamb's book of life is rescued to everlasting life. And we're gonna talk about that everlasting life next week. But here's what Jesus makes clear in Luke 12, two. Again, write that down. Anytime I say a reference, feel free to write that down. Luke 12, two. He says, everything that is hidden will be shown and everything that is secret will be made known. And you're like, are you kidding me right now? That's no fun. I mean, how would you like for, <laughs> you're weak. A lie, you know, let's, let's look at a, a week in the life of Keith. We're gonna show it on the screen on Sunday. I'm gonna show up and see that. What? No, like it's, it's gonna show you like, what? what's the purpose of this? Well, it's interesting because Yes, there's a judgment for, for Christians where we're gonna be rewarded, but another part of this, this judgment is that it's actually gonna to be to the glory of God because whatever shows, I'm using that big screen as a thing. I'm not saying there's a big screen in heaven, but I'm just saying that whatever is revealed in those books being open, it's just gonna show that the sins of the saved are revealed as forgiven sins. Our transgressions are going to be announced as pardoned transgressions. We are not going to stand that day before Christ in our righteousness, we're gonna stand in the righteousness of Christ. That's good news for believers. That's good news for believers. That's right, that's what, that's what clapping about. That's what clapping about. I got about 10 of you clapping. Thank you for that, that's good. <laughs> Rest of you need to go sing that song, Gratitude, again. Because I'm telling you, man, that's at the heart of it, this is it. And I wanna come back to that. That line in that song, I love it. I just heard it for the first time Tuesday night where it says, I have nothing fit for a king except for a heart to sing hallelujah, that's literally saying glory to God. That, that honestly is the only thing that you and I have to give to a king. Like, well, I'm, I'm gonna give him all my talent. Well, yeah, give him what you have, but dude, your talent compared to his immense glory is nothing. But it's like, man, as a, as a dad, what I wanna hear from my kids, they, they don't have anything to give me probably that I, I can't get myself other than love. And the same thing is true, man. This is, I can get started. I'm gonna get away from that. That's good. But no, what, 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 what I love is that day we're gonna be standing in Christ. And what we can know though is that every person will be judged. Every person's gonna give an account. But because of that, and the second thing just logically uh, is true. And that's this, every person will be rewarded. And so, so uh, alongside this, why don't you write down Matthew chapter 25, Matthew 25. Just write that off to the side because Jesus talks a lot about the final judgment there. He talks about the, there's, there's a parting of the ways. Those who are, who are blessed, verse 34, he's gonna, he's gonna say, blessed are you by the Father to inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Literally, that's a powerful statement. From the very beginning, this has been prepared for those who are in Christ. But then he also said in verse 41, depart from me, you curse into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. In fact, he goes on at the end of Matthew 25, verse 46, he says that those who live in rebellion against him will be cast into hell. And you're like, well, hold on a second. I get that eternal life, heaven is a reward. How is hell a reward? It's a good question. But I, if, if you think about it logically, it's a very simple answer. The judge is just. And what God is literally going to do is he is going to reward us and he's going to give us what we've been living for. 
It's not like he's gonna force people who do, want nothing to do with God. He's going to force them and break their will, if you will, and force them to go to heaven. No, he's going to reward us and give every one of us exactly what it is that we've been living for. And, and here's, that leads me to the third truth that we need to know about the judgment. Every one of these rewards will be eternal. Every reward is going to be eternal. And, and so, okay, I know I'm talking to different people here today, okay? I, I'm going to assume, look at this, you know, it's easy to assume, look at this crowd, man, everybody's Christian. Everybody's got their act together. We all, we all look good. But, but the reality is I know not everybody here is a, is a believer. Some of you might even be skeptics. You don't even believe in the, in the supernatural, okay? And by the way, you can't, it makes zero sense for us to say, well, I believe what the Bible says about heaven, but I don't believe what the Bible says about hell. That makes zero sense that like, I, I just get to make up these random things like, well, gravity, I, I believe in, in gravity. Everything says about going up, but I don't believe what gravity says, the law about coming down. That makes no sense, like, okay? And so, so what I'm gonna talk about for the next, next few minutes, if you're an unbeliever, there might be this resistance and it's like, yeah, okay, whatever. I don't believe that stuff. But, but here's what I want you to know is I believe it. And I would be a very, very terrible person, especially given my position as a pastor. I say especially, I shouldn't even say especially. I think as a Christian, if as a believer, I saw something coming and did nothing to warn you about what is coming. If I truly believe that hell is real, like I, I would be a terrible person to just like, oh, I want, I want you to feel good. I want, I want you to sleep good. You know, I'm not gonna tell you anything that, that makes you uncomfortable. No, that's stupid. I, I owe this to you. So here's what you're gonna know. Like I'm gonna base my belief on, on the word of God. Number two, what, what I believe is that there are only two options for us at the end. Eternal life with Jesus Christ, praising him for heaven, and by the way, if what you think of heaven is like little naked cherubs flying around playing harps, you're like, that sounds like a terrible place. Like I, I, next week, I'm gonna blow your mind. Like, like we're gonna talk about heaven. Like there's a lot we don't know about heaven, but thank God for what we can know about heaven. We're gonna talk about that next week. But, but okay, so there's two options, eternal life, heaven, that's with God, eternal life absent from God, which is, which is hell. So for, for the next couple of minutes, I just wanna talk about what scripture says about hell. Let me give you this definition. And I, this is my definition for better, for worse, just from as, as, we, as I've studied this across the years. Hell is a place of conscious, eternal torment for the unrepentant. Let me say that again. When I'm talking about hell, I'm talking about a place of conscious eternal torment for the unrepentant. Now I know that we all have different standards of what language we use and all that sort of thing. I, I, want, I want to say something, like call me a prude if you want. Hell should not be a word that we use flippantly because hell's not a joking matter to say, oh, go to hell. I, that, that just tells me that you are either callous, you don't believe in hell, or you have absolutely no idea what hell is. And while the Bible doesn't give us this detailed exposition, like, you know, let's walk you through hell, it does 
give us a lot of descriptions, including fire. It's called fire here. It's called a lake of fire and not like you know, water with fire on top. No, it's just like, like a lake from shore to shore is water. It, it gives you this, this picture of, of, of hell from shore to shore being fire. Outer darkness is a phrase that's used other, other places, which is just used to, to help us understand the utter isolation. It's not like, like these ideas that, oh, you know, hell's a place, I wanna go to hell, so we, we, we're gonna have a party, that's my people there. No, no, you, you don't get this. Like it's, it's speaking of this, this utter, utter darkness, utter isolation. Romans three says that our mouths will be stopped in hell there's no comfort, there's no nearness alone with, with the unrepentance of our sins. By the way, it's not like people in, in hell, you know, are, are, oh yeah, this is great, this is a part. No, they're, they're still unrepentant. We see it referred to as, as, as a place of destruction. For 2 Thessalonians 1.9, those in hell will suffer eternal destruction. By the way, this word destruction isn't speaking of like uh, annihilationism or the fact that you're gonna be annihilated. There's some people that believe that oh, it just means you're gonna cease to be. No, this destroying is, it's, it's a word that it's, it's like if you take a bottle to the top of a, a building, there's a parking lot and you throw a glass bottle down and it shatters, the bottle is still there but it's, it's, not an, it, it's, it's not able to fulfill the sense in which it was originally created. So when we're talking about destruction, this is where, where humanity created in the image of God, bodies in the image of God, they're gonna be ruined. Every vestige of humanity gone, lost, removed, forfeited. It's also a place, not just destruction, because if we keep reading in 2 Thessalonians 1.9, it's not just that those in hell will suffer eternal destruction. It adds this, we're going to be away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his, his might. Totally totally absent from God. And, and can I tell you that though, a lot of times we use this argument, if there is such a God, if there is a good and loving God, why do we see so much pain and suffering? But I think there's another argument to be made, even when God in his, his he, right, right now, in his restraint, there is a day coming of judgment. I actually though think that we have grown so accustomed to what I refer to as, or that, that theologians refer to as general grace, that we fail to make the other argument, the good and the beauty that we see in spite of sin speaks the fact there has to be a God. There has to be a God. And yet what we see in this picture, there is no general grace. It's a dark, picture here and, and we're like, well, yeah, well, you know, it's just a place where Satan's going to reign. Satan isn't reigning anything in hell. In fact, what we see again in verse 10, he's going to be like everyone else in hell, tormented day and night. And you're like, well, come on, man, all these different descriptions, are, the, are these literal or, or are they metaphorical? And here's my answer. I don't know other than I know that hell exists and I know that it's going to be to describe whatever it is, it's a place of everlasting torment. I remember I mean, years ago, my, my brother, we were little, we were kids, like I was probably 10, he was eight. We were singing at a camp and my, my family did music. And, uh, and so I, during the day at this camp, somebody had told my brother how to make a bomb. 
And so they gave him, they, they said, here's what you do. You take an empty two liter. Actually, I better be careful who I'm telling. Like some kids like, I'm gonna do Let's just say that. I'm like, wow, I got myself in trouble there. Um, let's just say this. My brother followed their instructions. And when he lit the thing, it did blow up. But what happened was the substance that he used to make the bomb went all the way up his arm. And I still remember, like I'll never forget at the age of 10 watching my brother, he literally was screaming, running around the camp. They, they had called, they called 911. They literally had to grab my brother and hold him down because of the, the agony that he's in, he's screaming. I've never forgot that picture. I don't know that that is what we're talking about here, but what I know it's talking about this everlasting torment. Whatever, what, whatever that means, Jesus, because of his love, is allowing us to understand that what is coming is judgment and it is good and it's perfect because the God, the God is, is good and perfect. Jesus as our judge is good and perfect. But he's also allowing us to see that the effect for those who live in rebellion are absolutely devastating. You're like, well, man, I don't, hell's just, you know, it's an Old Testament thing, like the wrath of God. And that's, an old, that's, that's not Jesus. Now, hold on a second. Actually, interesting enough, there's just a few sections in the Old Testament that even speak of hell or, or they don't even use the word hell there being used as a place of judgment. It's Jesus who taught us more about hell than anybody else. In fact, just so you know, 13%, if you're into percentages, 13% of his teachings in the gospels speak of either hell or judgment. Over half of the parables that he, that he used, the stories that he used to get our attention have to do with hell or judgment. Now here's the deal. Yes, Jesus is loving, but he was loving enough to say, man, I want you to know about this. I want you to understand this. And, and, and so, uh, you know, in a f what, two or three weeks ago, in one of my messages, I, I, I addressed the, the objections to the wrath of God. How could a good God do this? And so I'm not gonna repeat that. You can go back and all of our messages are on, on YouTube. You can go look those up. But I'm gonna, I, I just wanna make sure I clarify something. God does not send anyone to hell. Now, there's some of you because your background are like, no, no, he does, he does. No, he does not. God simply honors their choice. Hell is the ultimate expression of God's high regard for the dignity of man. He has never forced us to choose him even when it meant that we would choose by virtue of what we were chasing, the wrath of God. I've, I think I used it last time I preached. Like, like, like for a person to go to hell, it's not because God said, hey, get out of here. I don't like you. No, 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 literally. It's like C.S. Lewis. He said, they, they actually have to go around Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross to go to hell. In fact, C.S. Lewis said that, that hell is actually locked from the inside, not the outside. It's a place of the, the unrepentant. And the sobering truth that brings me to the end of what I wanna share this morning. The, the, the fourth truth that, that we see is that 
every soul has a choice. And again, man, I don't, I don't know who's here. I, like, I don't know why you showed up. But I, I just want, I want you to consider that maybe instead of hearing some bald dude that is talking about something that you thought they only believed in the dark ages, that's just off his rocker, maybe, maybe, maybe. God brought you here today to hear what I'm saying, that you have a choice. That, that, that today you can still choose life. I, Paul, the apostle Paul was very clear. Like in scripture, he, he wrote in, in Romans chapter three, I'm sorry, Romans 6, 23, he said, for the wages of sin is death. Like you chase after, if that's what we're living for, that's what we're going to get. But the, rest, but, but the rest of the verse, sometimes we've left off, but he says this, but the gift of God is eternal life. And what Jesus did for us, it's such a beautiful picture in Hebrews chapter two, where uh, the Hebrews writer says in verse 14, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, speaking of Jesus, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, that's what we've been reading about here in chapter 20, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. The reality is, man, that God in his grace and his goodness, though the misery of hell is deep, allows us to see that grace is greater, that love is deeper, and then, man, even while today is still called today, you can be saved. And it's like, man, how do you, how do you end this message? I mean, well, how does this even apply to our life? Again, if we're in Christ, man, every time we read this, there should be a rejoicing aspect to this. And what I mean by this, we rejoice in the fact that this is not our story. Thank God, we have been saved. We have been saved. We are being saved. One day we will be saved. That's the different tenses. Salvation is so complete. But I think what it does also is it gives us as believers a wake-up call. And I say this carefully. I think sometimes we're more concerned whether or not our pets are gonna be in heaven with us than where our family is going to be in hell. And it should be a wake-up call to the reality of what is coming. And so the commission that we've been given that's in Matthew 28, that what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you're ambassadors. You're sent to preach a message of reconciliation. You've been sent by God to say, be reconciled to God. Like, this is a reason for us to do this. If I love you, and you're getting ready to drive off a cliff, I'm gonna do everything I can to stop you from driving off a cliff. If I really believe the word of God, I'll care enough to pray. I'll care enough to speak. I'll care enough to stand in the gap. And dude, a warning is, is not always fun. Like, like when, when, when we hear a warning, we don't always like it. I remember several years ago, I was traveling, I was part of a music group, uh, Liberty, we were on a... Uh, we, we normally fly Southwest. And if you've ever flown Southwest, you know, Southwest, they have fun on their flights. Like, I mean, 
They, they start the day off with like a stand-up comedy routine or depending on who the person is, they'll sing, they'll joke, and it's a party. Well, for whatever reason, even though we normally flew Southwest to some of our concerts, we're flying to Arizona and uh, we had to fly on US Air this time. And I should have known that it wasn't Southwest when we got on the flight and we were talking pretty loud. It was pretty early in the morning. We're kind of laughing. And the, uh, the flight attendant kind of made a snarky comment about quiet down or something like that. And I thought... I mean, I'm flying Southwest. I think she's kind of joking, just kind of one of those grouchy. You know, she's trying to be grouchy as a way of being funny, but no, that wasn't the case because <laughs> when she got to the, the safety instructions where they do the whole seatbelt thing and, and all of that and they have the demonstration, as she's standing there, I'm, I'm, we're, we're sitting in like the 16th row or something like that, but close enough where I, we can see her, she can see us. As she's given this instruction, one of the guys, we were sitting across from each other, two guys over here, two guys over here, says something stupid. And I, if you know me, like I cannot, even in the worst, like when I know it's inappropriate to laugh, I cannot help myself. And I just, I lost it. I laughed. And then this lady who's given the safety demonstration from the entire plane drops her mic walks back to where I'm, I'm sitting. And in front of the entire plane, she's like, excuse me, sir. She said, I'll continue my safety demonstration when you're done joking. And dude, I'm gonna be honest with you. I was like, first of all, I blushed because everybody's turning around like, who's the moron? And, and like, uh, it's me. And uh, she's, she's saying this, she's saying this. And, and honestly, it, it was offensive. The, the, the way she said this, but, but she said, she said, I actually believe that what I'm, I'm doing right now matters for you and your safety. And I'd appreciate uh, you, you actually paying attention. Yes, ma'am. She walked back up and she picked up the mic. I'm gonna tell you what, for the first time in my life, maybe I listened. <laughs> I checked my seat buckle. I looked where the oxygen masks were. When she put it at the exits, I turned around to make sure I knew where they were. I even pulled out that stupid card that, that none of us have read that have all the instructions and I read it. I know what US Air now has to say about safety instructions and, and here's why. Maybe I didn't like the warning, but the reality was if she truly believed that what she said was important, she, I didn't like the way she did it, but she did the right thing. I say this to you today that what we've read here today, I don't know that there's been anything that I've shared that's, that's unnecessarily offensive. I hope not, because that's not my point. But I hope that you've heard the warning loud and clear. I hope that, in, that, that, that if you are unsaved, and I say this carefully and kindly, that the Holy Spirit has been faithful to you and he has troubled your heart. Because if what I've read is true and I believe that it is, this matters. And today for you can be the day of salvation. And so as I close, I'm gonna ask you to stand if you would. We don't always do our invitations the same way. Many times we'll, we'll stay here at the end of service. And by the way, we'll do that today too. I'll stay. We have a prayer team. If, if someone comes forward and prays, everybody will have someone praying with them. But as I pray the closing prayer, if there is someone who believes God through his Holy Spirit has so convicted your heart, you believe that what I've said is true and you also know that you are not a Christian, but you feel that God is calling you 
to this place and, and you just want to be a seeker, I'm gonna invite you while I pray to do something that might feel awkward to you. It's, not very, it's, it's, it's very not PC to do this, but I'm gonna invite you to step out from where you are to come down to the front and we're gonna pray because honestly, though we're gonna go out and get burritos and coffee and that's all good. We're gonna support a good cause, that's important. This is what matters more than anything. And so Father, as we close our time here, I thank you that Christ in love for his church provides both the optimism and the hope and the rejoicing of knowing that what lies ahead is not what it could have been thanks to Christ's work on the cross, but that thanks to salvation, we don't stand condemned, we stand in the rights of Christ. It also provides this warning. And God, I don't know who's here. I don't know where we've come from. I don't know what our, what our backgrounds are, but God, I am praying this morning that if there's someone whose heart has been convicted and stirred, God, I don't wanna scare anybody into the kingdom. I don't wanna manipulate anybody, but Lord, I want to faithfully warn. I wanna preach your word. And God, your word is faithful to warn us, to convict and your Holy Spirit's doing this today, I'm convinced. And Lord, I'm praying that there would be someone, anyone who has been convicted that would respond to this invitation to come and receive what we haven't earned, but what Christ did in dying on the cross. The wrath that we read about here in scripture, he took that wrath for us. And Jesus, we just wanna pause and say, thank you for taking that wrath for us. And I just pray that instead of walking out and despising that work and leaving in rebellion, but God, that you, that we would bow the knee today and receive the incredible gift of eternal life through your work. And so God, for what you're going to do, for what you've already done, Lord, for what you're doing even now, we thank you for this. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do as you leave. I wanna ask you, if you're, if you're a believer, I want you to pray for the next two services that I'm preaching. This is a heavy message. I literally feel the emotional weight of this. And so if you guys just do me a favor and pray and pray that hearts will be responsive and let's go rejoicing the fact that Christ has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We are forgiven. Go in Christ knowing that he has you. You're dismissed.